podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Sam Keir, host of Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. For the past 12 months, I've been talking to T20 star David Visa, getting his take from behind the scenes at the IPL, the 100 and the rest of the world's biggest leagues. That's the Donnelly view system deal. There's no <laughs> ways in my mind that was up. These guys don't know how to win at this stage. He had his driver pick him up in his Bentley. People start chanting your name. You kind of have to pinch yourself. Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Sport Social. Let's get ready to rumble! Hello and welcome to Face Off. In this one we will be covering the 0-0 draw with Manchester United at Old Trafford in one of the most uneventful games. Well, maybe not uneventful because there was a few injuries, but other than that, literally nothing happened. Um, so I'll introduce my guest and then we'll uh, suffer through this podcast. Um, firstly, I'll introduce my Liverpool guest, Ollie. How are you doing, Ollie? Uh Very well, thank you very much, mate. So glad to be back on hearing your dulcet tones once again and uh, hopefully we'll manage to produce something a bit more livelier for the listeners than the uh, players managed to uh, on Sunday. Yeah, I think that's quite an easy task, actually. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But it has been a while, Ollie. Um, And joining us, I finally got a Manchester United fan on one of these podcasts, is Harry Robinson, uh, host of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. How are you doing, Harry? Yeah, good, thanks. I think slightly more content than, than the pair of you, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, we were just having a little chat before we started recording and... uh, you had a shot, so that means you nearly won the game. <laughs> uh, dear. Um, we, as we start with every one of these podcasts, we tend to go into the starting 11s. And I mean, Harry, I'll start with you. Um, probably a bit more debate around yours, because obviously you had Matic missing, Martial didn't recover in time. But I mean, Matic, has, I know people have seen he's gone downhill and stuff like that, but he does start pretty much every game. So it must have been somewhat of a surprise hearing that he's injured. Uh, yeah, I think he got injured on, on training on Friday or, or, or Saturday, perhaps. And yeah, he, he was going downhill until Solskjaer stepped in, like most of the United's players, um, which isn't a coincidence. And since he, he kind of looks a bit rejuvenated and he's been quite impressive over the last month. And I think on the tram going down to Old Trafford before, as the team news came out, you know, it filters through the, the fans on the walk to the ground or whatever and the sense of, uh, it, it was seen as a notable absence, Matic. And I, you wouldn't believe me if I said that three months ago, but he's grown in importance since Solskjaer came in. And our midfield squad depth is, is very, very weak. Particularly when we play a three-man midfield of, of Pogba, Herrera, Matic. That's been so set in stone over the last couple of months since Solskjaer took over. And now just taking one piece out of that just makes it so much weaker when your, your backup options are Scott McTominay and Andres Pereira, who did very well, but they're not at the same level of quality. So yeah, this straight reaction from the starting eleven was one of nervousness and, and definitely not confidence. 
And you just mentioned the midfield options there. I mean, I might as well ask the question, but what's happened to your 50 million plus midfielder? I mean, you could probably ask the same with us and Nabi Keita, but <laughs> what's happened to Fred? Because, I mean, if he's behind Pereira, who, what is he, 23-ish kid, and um, I know McTominay is a bit more defensive, that's probably fair enough, but how has he fallen this far down the pecking order? Yeah, it's it's like Alexis Sanchez, but even even more exaggerated. 52 million. Um and yeah, we've seen we've seen more action from our mascot Fred the Red than from <laughs> our, our Brazilian midfielder. This is it's it's baffling. And the thing is, when we first signed him, I mean, when we signed him, the the reaction was kind of one well, yeah, this is a, a good midfielder, but nothing amazing. It's not like when you when you made the deal to sign Kate or when we brought Pop back or or even when we signed Matic. It was kind of a sense of yeah, this would be a good signing, but. I mean, he's not going to set the league on fire or anything like that or, or really change our team. And I think if you make a signing like that for 52 million, I mean, you might, you might think that's okay in the current market for, I don't know, 25, 30 million, but for 52 million, you are expecting him to, to at least make it, make a bit of a difference to his team. And I mean, we've barely seen him. I think he'll probably get a chance over the next two or three weeks because we've got injuries to Matic, Mata, Lingard, Herrera. I think Pob, well, Pob was suspended for the PSG game. I think Pob will get injured within the next two or three weeks because he's going to have to play every game. So we're going to be forced to see Fred in the coming weeks. But yeah, it's baffling. And no one really knows whether he's good enough. No one could say, well, he's not good enough because we just haven't seen enough of him. Yeah, I thought I'd just ask it because I mean, <laughs> the only thing I knew about him is that he was linked to Man City before he signed him. So I thought that <laughs> might have been the only reason he actually signed him. Um, Ollie, I mean, probably less question marks with our team. There was a couple debatable positions. Um, right back, we'll get into it in a sec. But the midfield's probably the main one. Obviously, Henderson coming off the back of probably his best performance in ages against Bayern Munich. So I think that's fair that he started. But what, what was your thoughts on the midfield before we get into the Trent situation? Yeah, it was a it was a tricky one for Klopp. I think you know there was there was cases for essentially Milner hasn't done enough this season to justify going into midfield three for that such a game. So, but there was cases for all of them in terms of Fabinho. I think proved over this those last few months that he's our best midfielder, especially against that high level opposition. But Wijnaldum's been brilliant, um, probably the most consistent midfielder from the start of the season to now. Naby Keita's really been turning it on in recent weeks and starting to show signs of why we paid such money for him, why we were happy to wait, and there was such sort of excitement amongst the fan base for what he could do. But then Henderson, who probably would have been the one most worried about his place, comes along with a really impressive and sort of. Um, you know, sort of all action performance against Bayern Munich on Tuesday. You know, his defensive work was very good. He shut down a lot of sort of potential counter attacks for the Bavarians when sort of Salamane and Firmino lost the ball, which they uh, were doing for fun in that Champions League match. And he was also quite good with his passing. Obviously, saw a very good ball over the top of Salah, which would have been a sensational assist if uh, sort of Neuer hadn't kept it out with some quite sort of smart goalkeeping. So, you know, it was one of those, I, I, I wouldn't, would have been happy to see Fabinho, Wijnaldum and Cater personally, because I think that is our best midfield, will be our best midfield going forward, at least until perhaps we sign that sort of Fakir type player and maybe move Cater and Fabinho into sort of a two-man mid. But yeah, I, I couldn't argue too much with keeping Henderson and given, you know, he's the team captain. He offers a bit more of a defensive option than Cater. Obviously, we can't take trips to Old Trafford for granted, regardless of United's fortune. So you can understand Klopp going with that sort of bit more conservative approach. And then after his performance on Tuesday, it was just one that I wouldn't have gone for personally, but had no real qualms with in terms of understanding what Klopp was thinking. Yeah, yeah, and and on the on the Trent situation, I mean, you mentioned um, Milner's not had the best form, but Klopp does like 
just crowbarring him into the team any way, shape, or form, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really. I, I, I do understand it because, because it's quite obvious in terms of you know he thinks he's reliable. He'll very rarely give you anything less than a six out of ten, although very rarely give you anything more than a seven. You know, he's one of the leaders in the team. He's built Klopp's trust, but equally. I look at it and think it was so obvious against uh, Zahar when he got sent off a few weeks ago against Palace that whilst he did do very well left back a couple of seasons ago in terms of providing some solidity there, it just you can't put him there because you think he's a bit reliable and offers that sort of defensive um, solidity that maybe Trent doesn't because he's a bit more inexperienced. I just don't see because we've seen Alexander Arnold sort of against the likes of Sane. Uh, in the Champions League games last season, put up a higher level of defensive display than Milner ever has at fullback, and especially when you consider what Zahar did to him a few weeks ago, put him up against sort of any number of the sort of fast attacking players United could have put on the left against him. It could have been Lingard, it could have been Martial, been Rashford. Any, Solskjaer could have put any of them against him. He'd had a tough time. As it sort of worked out, he wasn't tested that much, and we'll get onto that after in terms of how the game panned out. But equally, his attacking contribution wasn't yesterday and just isn't as good as Trent's. I think maybe Klopp, Klopp said it was, Klopp said the thought of that was, you know, we've had a lot of games recently, we've got a lot of games to come, we need Trent to be fit for them, especially with Gomez being injured, having learned out Klein, so it made sense to put Milner in for this one. But why Milner couldn't have played right back against Bayern, why Milner couldn't play right back against Watford on Wednesday just baffles me, especially when we sort of think that we're really going to need some creativity to get past Luke Shaw, who proved, uh, again, with his point against Salah, that he's sort of maturing now into the excellent left-back we all thought he was going to be some years ago. Uh, there's probably something in it in terms of Alexander-Arnold had a tough game at Old Trafford last season, you know, Rashford's uh, stole the match in that game and was sort of his direct opponent that game, but as we remember, Lovren had a shocker that day, and that contributed somehow in some part to Trent's bad display, and the fact that, you know, it's been a year since then, Alexander-Arnold's a better player now, he's a much better defender than he was a year ago. So, while I understand why Klopp did it in terms of Klopp's own personal thoughts on Alexander Arnold and Milner, etc. They don't sort of match up to my own, and it's something that when I saw the team sheet, I was disappointed in. Yeah, yeah, I fully agree. Um, and I, I understand that. Obviously, Klopp mentioned his fitness and stuff like that, but I agree with what you said there. I mean, Bayern, obviously, the Champions League's huge, but Premier League's everything for us this season. So, yeah, I agree. Should have prioritised it the other way around. Um, Oli, I know you missed the, the first few moments of the game, so I'll stick with Harry on this one. Um, obviously, the first, well, the only, <laughs> near enough, the only thing that happened in the first half, apart from uh, injuries, um, was an Ashley Young back pass. I mean, did it, you were obviously in the stadium. Was there, was there a nervous feeling around the game, or do you think it was just early part of the game and just not had his touching or not had his passing? What, what, did, you, did you feel nerves in the stadium? Uh, I, I don't think so. It was a, it was a pretty... A unique atmosphere at Old Trafford, which has been uh, pretty criminally quiet for a lot of big games over the last three or four years in particular. And it can be loud, but often it's not. And at kickoff, I don't know what it was, the sun, the fact we're trying to stop you winning the title, the good mood around the club, whatever. There, there was a, a big atmosphere at Old Trafford and it wasn't just like a little core in the Stretford end or in the United Road stand. It was, it was every, every stand except the, the kind of prawn sandwich brigade, which was unfortunately where I was sat, um, which was right in front of the Ashley Young back pass. And there was, I mean, there was a, a slight kind of groan and a, a bit of a stomach churning moment in that exact moment. But as, as soon as it had happened, I think the nerves had gone. I think there were, there were a few nerves in, in the United team. Um, in the first 10, 15 minutes. And that was, I think that was only compounded by the fact that we had 
four injuries. Rashford was injured after five minutes. I was um, sitting kind of 10, 15 seats just above the dugout. And Rashford came over to Solskjaer within the first five minutes and, and was feeling his ankle and the physios were checking him out. I think the rest of the players could see that. And then you get the first injury and then the second injury and it's it's all just starting to... It feels like you're about to lose the game. But they, I mean, they eventually came up. But I think the young back pass was... I have no idea what he was doing there. He's usually pretty faultless in terms of mistakes. He's never really that good. Um, I think quite similar to, to you with James Milner, um, although slightly less important to the team. He's never, it's never amazing, but he's never really committed a mistake as much um, because of his experience. But yeah, not sure what he's doing. But I, I don't think there was a nervousness around the fans, but perhaps in the team, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you, you mentioned um, screwing up there. That, that's exactly what we did with the indirect free kick straight afterwards, which was a sight to behold. Um, I, Ollie, I mean... Not really. Liverpool really didn't do anything, so I'm going to have to ask you about the Rashford injury. Um, I think Henderson did the tackle, but I mean, when you looked at the United team, what was Rashford the main worry from our point of view? Yeah, right. It's Rashford and Pogba really. Pogba in terms of just that his class can decide a game, and Rashford in the sense that if he's on form, he can knock in two or three. He can wreak havoc for ninety minutes because you know he's got the energy, he's got the pace, stamina. Got the awareness to cause problems for most defenders. Martial would be the other one that you'd look at and say, you know, you worry about him. But obviously, thankfully, he was on the bench. So, Pogba and Rashford, I think, were the ones we worried about. So it was a, a boost to see Rashford hobbling around and sort of give a limited impact. Uh, um, but unfortunately, Liverpool, as we sort of we've made the point, didn't really do anything to take that advantage of United effectively, and they got playing with a sort of cobbled together ten and a half men. Uh, in a system they couldn't change for the rest of the game, and yeah, so it was. Whilst it was, you know, I, I, I'm going to put a disclaimer in and say it was. It's never pleasing to see a player hurt or injured. It was obviously an advantage for Liverpool, um, but it, again, not, we didn't really do much with it apart from maybe it limited United's chances going forward. Yeah, yeah, and and Harry obviously probably a lack of options with all the injuries beforehand as well. Never mind the ones that actually happened in the game, but. Um, how how has Rashford developed under Solskjaer? I know everyone he was obviously very raw, and uh, whether Mourinho was uh, using him wrong like everyone else. Um, but how 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 important and how much has he improved since Solskjaer took um, took over? Well, uh, actually, I think he started improving. I can't. He managed to get a goal in. Um, I can't remember which game it was at the back end of November. I think maybe early December, and. Uh, on on the podcast that I host, me and me and my co-host were starting to say there's definitely some some improvement there. Certainly in his form, we we weren't predicting anything of of this kind of ilk. But um, so he started improving at the back end of Mourinho. Him and Martial both did. They were kind of the only players who were improving under Mourinho at that time, where everyone else was getting worse and worse. And then Solskjaer coming in just. just I mean, exaggerated that to a, a ridiculous extent. And it's 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 a confidence, it's the fact he's playing at centre forwards. There's no surprise he's scoring more goals when he's playing as a striker instead of a left winger. That's not that surprising. But there's always been that thing with Rashford is is when he gets on the ball, just the the excitement and the and the the idea that you don't really know what he's gonna do. Um I think with Marshall is a fantastic player and I love him, but he kind of he's a bit more predictable. Same goes for um, some other great players like like Lingard and I mean I'm going to say Lukaku but he's been terrible this season but Rashford is, is kind of unpredictable and under Solskjaer he's taken it to a, to a new level um, obviously scoring more goals but he's become more of a part 
of the team while he's playing as, as a centre forward. And I think he got that because of his experience playing out on the left. He's now hugely important. Um, he's contributed to more goals than anyone since his debut, which is actually on this day three years ago. And he's looking like he could be Manchester United's main striker. I don't think he will end up being. I think we'll probably have to sign a replacement for Lukaku if this bad form continues. Very expensive mistake, it looks like. But um, yeah, it's just that the confidence that the whole team has has really rubbed off on Rashford. And he's one of the people leading it. And and the the, the flowing movement that you see in the front three that obviously you lot have seen in, in your own team for the last two seasons is kind of finally arrived at Manchester United where there is the talent to play like that. Um, and when you've got Popper behind you, you're always going to score goals. But I think you saw also a bit of his character when, when he picked up that early ankle injury and he kept coming over, kept rubbing it, kept going down. Uh, I don't know if it was shown on TV or not, but he kept going down in the centre circle while the ball was back in, in defence, kind of just rubbing it and, and looking in, in serious pain. And he did carry on. And he, it's not like he hobbled on for the rest of the match because we couldn't make us up. He did put in a, a proper shift and looked uh, like scoring on a couple of occasions. Mm, yeah, I mean, he had a. I, mean, I think one of the things was he got painkillers at half time, apparently. <laughs> and apparently, yeah, if, you get, yeah, if you get. Apparently, one of the stories, if you get. I think Lee Dixon said it on one of the American um, networks, and he said, once you get painkillers, your touch goes. <laughs> so you could see that, and I think I think one of our, one of the other AI contributors said um, Salah must have been doped up on him pretty bad then, <laughs> uh, which makes sense. Um, but speaking of pain kills, obviously leads on to the rest of the injuries that happened. Well, just all 500 of them happened in the first half. Um, Ollie, I'll start with you with our, our only one, um, fortunately, or possibly not fortunately. Um, obviously, Firmino goes off, and that's obviously a worry because we have no backup um, in the forward areas, or we have no backup that Klopp seems, seemingly trusts or whatever. Um, but we saw Sturridge come on. I mean, in a previous life, that'd be smashing. But we I think he's played like a grand total of three minutes in about a year. So I I didn't get the thinking there, even though I'd probably agree with it considering the form of the other people. Yeah, it was strange, to say the least, and sort of Klopp's treatment of storage this season has been strange. At the start of the season it looked very sort of positive in terms of, you know, he was maybe starting every one in three or four games, conscious in scoring a few goals, obviously he came off the bench against Chelsea and scored that brilliant equaliser at Stamford Bridge. And we were sort of seeing him become a really useful squad player in terms of, you know, being able to rotate him in to give one of the front three some rest. And then it was like something happened and we were like, oh God, we're actually in a title race here. Oh no, we can only use 13 or 14 players. And we've barely seen him since that. Like, we've seen Origi used off the bench more in recent weeks. Uh, living off Jordan Pickford's tiny arms and the <laughs> fact that he's managed to shoulder one in in stoppage time in the most which is brilliant as it is, probably shouldn't really be the sort of main reason for coming off the bench when we need goals. Um, but yeah, so we, this time we went with Sturridge, and fair enough, but it just seems strange. Sturridge is a substitute now, is in, sorry, Sturridge is a starting option once every three or four games. If you can work him into that, fine. Sturridge off the bench, I think only really works when you really need something different because the initial game plan isn't working and at the point where Firmino came off I think our best half an hour in the game was probably the first half now mm. we looked more dangerous uh, and taking Firmino off for Sturridge just smacked of Klopp not really being sure what to do so just going for the most sort of maybe explainable option I was in maybe if he's, I don't know if he's thinking like if he puts a Riga on it's a bit of a mad one because as we've said like he's played about seven minutes this season Scored like knocked one off his shoulder against Everton and so on. 
Whereas Sturridge is the more experienced name who's like obviously dealt with those big fixtures before. Maybe putting Shakiri on, you'd have to put Salah as the main striker probably, and it would change the system a bit. But it just that that would have seemed the more natural option because you can bring Shakiri onto the right, move Salah into the middle, and whilst you do lose some of what Salah does on the right, and you don't get you don't get a pure replication of what Firmino does from Salah, they're probably more suited into matching the sort of roles of the players they're taking positions than Sturridge is coming in for Firmino because it just changes the game plan, the sort of way Liverpool move the ball completely because Sturridge just doesn't have those qualities that Firmino has, especially in the big games. And I think you really saw from that point on that Liverpool's attacking prowess just sort of faded and faded into absolute nothingness. I mean, it wasn't that we made a rip-roaring start, but there were definitely signs in that first sort of... Well, I, said, I missed the first 10 minutes, but that's sort of what I saw from like 10 minutes to 30, that sort of that we were probing and pushing probings and whatnot but uh, when storage came on that just disappeared to an extent uh, I'd have probably gone for Shakiri myself there's arguments that you could do another thing so bring Regan you could have changed the system to a diamond and maybe brought Trent on and moved Miller into midfield especially when you're given given that I think United had already made one so Rashford was hobbling around so the clock probably would have assumed at that time they were going to have to make a second and eat into their subs and this was sort of the big thing that once United had made all their changes, Klopp sort of had United at their mercy in terms of United had three attackers on. He could have moved to a four-man midfield, and especially with an injured Rashford, they'd have struggled to adapt to that. You could, they could have done so many things in terms of changing system and shape to um, sort of confuse Solskjaer and make Solskjaer try and react, despite maybe not having the players at his disposal on the pitch to change systems to counteract whatever Liverpool were doing. But we just didn't take the opportunity. It was just like, oh, well, well Firmino plays up front and sometimes scores goals. Sturridge plays up front and sometimes scores goals. That should be fine. On you go. We won't change anything. And then, it, you know, as we saw the results, we had barely threatened after that and Sturridge was extraordinarily quiet for the sort of 60, sort of 60 55 minutes he played. Yeah, yeah. There was, it was definitely one of them games where it was just all disconnected from back to front, really. Uh, and Sturridge would took part and was a victim of that, I suppose. Um Harry, obviously a lot more injury problems in that half you, and we'll we'll stick with the first two because Lingard actually did something before he came off. Um, but we saw Herrera and Mata go off. Obviously, Mata, not one of the first names on the team sheet, but loves a goal against Liverpool. And Herrera, obviously mentioned, he's now definitely first choice with, with the other two you mentioned uh, earlier on. Um, how, how big a miss are, are both of them, and probably more on Herrera, because he seems to have had a bit of a renaissance um, since Solskjaer's came on. I could probably put that to every one of your players as well, but he seems <laughs> to be the bigger miss. Yeah, I think uh, it felt it was weird, because there was a great atmosphere at Old Trafford, and then that period where we got, what was it, three injuries in, it must have been half an hour, uh, it did feel a little bit like a, a testimonial at times, particularly when Lingard came on and then, and then came off again a few seconds later. Um, but yeah, losing Herrera was massive because he, he was guilty at times on the Mourinho. Well, Mourinho tried to turn him into a destroyer as someone who just broke up play and man marked whoever the, the biggest threat on the other team is. And he's gone back to that, uh, Van Hal type player that we saw where he's just a bit of a nuisance to the other team, but he also possesses some kind of in-game intelligence um, and he, he's obviously way ahead of Andreas Pereira who put in, in a very good effort and I think most United fans were quite pleased with but isn't under Herrera because I think I think the big problem with Herrera coming off was it meant we had a midfield which Paul Pogba had to lead and obviously you want Paul Pogba to lead your team in terms of his attacking contribution but you don't want him to have to be 
brought down by the fact that he is uh, controlling the two younger players to his right and left. Uh, you want Paul Popper to be free. I mean, it's become a cliche now, freeing up Paul Popper, but we've seen how good he can be over the last few weeks and Herrera going off meant that Popper had to take on a different role. Um, Mata going off, not so much, but actually him being there was, was key to the system in, in our win against Chelsea in the cup at the, the tip of that midfield diamond. He was very good and important in, in linking up the play. So it, it, it was just, it, I've, I've never seen anything like it. And I don't think anyone has. Um, I was speaking to United fans who have been watching us since the sixties, since best law and Charlton. They've said they've never seen three players get injured, four players get injured because of Rashford as well within the first half. It, it, it was ridiculous, but, and I think, I think, I think on Klopp's comments after the game, I know I had a conversation with Ollie on Twitter about this, um, saying that our injuries and, and obviously your injury to Firmino broke Liverpool's rhythm. Um, I think in that first half, it's definitely true. You were looking pretty, pretty good, um, and pretty threatening, particularly on the counter attack. And we, you allowed us to have more of the ball, which is when we're at our worst. Uh, much like you, we're much better when we're playing on the counter attack. It was a bit of a cat and mouse game. Um, and you were looking like a better team and then that kind of broke up and, and the game fizzled out into, into half time. So it was difficult for both sides, but obviously I think it was more difficult to us when you're completely changing your team. It's a similar thing to what happened against PSG, even though they outclassed us on, on another level. It was just our game, game plan was ruined within half an hour. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> obviously you mentioned that Lingard came on. Um, and I just wanted to ask you about the the person who came on a bit later. Um, has Sanchez really been that bad? Well, I, th- I think the reason he brought Lingard on is because I, I do think they're quite different players. Mm. Alexis offers... Uh, Alexis gives you fantastic crossing delivery. He can make a chance. He works very hard. Uh, he wins the ball back a lot at the top of the pitch. I think Lingard is, it's really hard to sum up what qualities Lingard brings to the side. Not in a way that suggests he doesn't bring anything to the side. He brings a huge amount to the side, but he's the kind of player who, I'm trying to think of a comparison elsewhere in the Premier League, but he's the kind of player who, apart from when he scores those, those big game goals, which of course is, is one of his key attributes, but he adds a lot to the side without it being that noticeable. He keeps the side ticking. Obviously, that's a cliche, but sounds like Adam Lallana minus the goals. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Adam Lallana at his peak wouldn't be a too dissimilar comparison. Um, I'm trying to think how long ago it was, but Lallana was fantastic for you and for England maybe three or four years ago. And Lingard is a different player to Sanchez. I think, given that we'd already had a couple of injuries, I think I can see why Solskjaer brought on Lingard because he's more central to that team. Alexis has been that bad, yes. Um, Lingard has been streets ahead of him in his form and in his performances. I actually thought when Alexis did come on, he, he was pretty good. Um, he worked incredibly hard um, and actually contributed a fair bit more than a lot of the other players. There's been moments when he's been fantastic. Uh, there's been moments when you've been able to see his quality bits in a different way. If you remember when Paul Pob was playing badly, uh, parts of this season, parts of last season, parts of its first season, to be fair. Um, there were still moments in every game. He'd have a terrible game. I remember him having a, a shocker against you in, um, I think it was January, it must be in 2016 or 17. Uh, he had a really bad game against you lot. And there were still a couple of moments where he just produced a skill of, of ridiculous quality. A, a pass that was just better than anything you would see any other player on the pitch make. 
you don't get that with Alexis. If he has a bad game, he has a bad game. And that's pretty much it. And if yeah. he has a good game like he did against you when he came on, he has a, a decent game. And you can't be having that with, with a key player like him. So yeah, he has, been, he has been that bad. A long answer. Yeah, yeah, and no, I thought it was just quite interesting because <laughs> you, we don't, we, I, I, I imagine you don't watch Liverpool as closely as us, and we won't watch Man U as closely as you do. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I thought I might as well answer that uh, big question that's going around the Premier League. Um, probably the only actual shot or chance or whatever in in the first half was did involve Lingard for the for the small amount he was on the field. And Ollie, I'll start with you. Um, how nice is it having a goalkeeper? I know a goalkeeper with working hands, feet, general saves, um, and lack of glaring errors is sort of all very new to us. And obviously, we actually have seen Allison make one or two fuck ups, but in the huge moments he has delivered, I think I said that was probably his second biggest save of the season after the um, Napoli, Napoli save from Milik in the last minute where he'd let that one in from about six yards, we'd been knocked out of the Champions League. And maybe just thinking there was a game when we beat Burnley 3-1, uh, mm. it was 2-1, and we made, made that ridiculous save in stoppage time where he tipped the ball onto the post, then we made it 3-1 on the counter. But that's it's definitely like that save from Lingard, especially if we go on to do the unthinkable and uh, pinch this title off Manchester City by a point or two we could be looking at that as one of the defining moments because you know you'd re- even despite the injuries if United go 1-0 up there you really fancy them on the counter to uh, you know take care of that victory especially given the way we were attacking but no it's a really nice passion with Lukaku uh, got to give him his credit uh, and then Lingard doesn't really do that much wrong uh, just Allison just reads it brilliantly does what so many goalkeepers fail to do in keeping a cool head not committing too early or too, even too late, goes down exactly the right move and gets a big hand out and stretches it and gets it all the way onto the ball, pushes it properly away and gets his hand out so that the referee, you know, can't give anything other than play on. Like, doesn't give Lingard a chance to dive or sort of, you know, try and simulate anything to get a penalty because he gets such a big hand on the ball, pushes it right back the other way rather than flicking it or anything, makes sure there's no ambig- ambiguity. And, um, yeah, like, I, can't, I can't praise him enough for that because in a game where there was so little in terms of chances, that was undoubtedly the biggest. And, uh, you know, not for the first time this season, he came up with the goods. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's been such a problem position since Rainer uh, forgot how to be a goalkeeper. Um, Harry, um, if Lingard was fitter, do you think he would have had a bit more composure in that in that situation? Or, I mean, what what's he like in front of goal? I mean, you mentioned big goals, but that's probably one of the biggest ones in terms of Premier League fixtures. Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't think his fitness would have affected it, really. It's not the kind of goal that... It's not the kind of chance you want to fall to Jesse Lingard. You'd love that to be... You'd love for that to be Pogba on the end of it, Matter. Um Martial, Rashford, it's not what you want to see Jesse Lingard on the end. The kind of big game goals, Lingard scores are, are kind of not, not easy finishes, but they're finishes from 10, 12, 18, 25 yards. Um, they're not from that close range to goal. Um, and I don't think he's particularly amazing at, at taking a goalkeeper on, taking it in that kind of tight, really, really tight range. You want someone with amazing ball control. Um, and yeah, to be fair, a fantastic save from Madison. And the thing Ollie said about staying calm and not suddenly diving to the fore, just waiting, waiting, waiting and getting that hand away. Because Lingard's first touch wasn't bad. Um, perhaps it should have been a little bit heavier to take it past Allison. Um, but 
it's not it's not as if Lingard failed with the chance there. It was a fantastic bit of goalkeeping. Um, and I mean, Lingard should have scored. There's no doubt about that. I think another if it had been another player, maybe they would have done. But it was a it was a hard chance. Perhaps if it had been, I'm trying to think in in distance terms. Even if it had been half a foot back, half a foot further away from Allison and further away from the goal, United probably would have scored and won that game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we weren't scoring that tight margins. Yeah, we weren't scoring in that game, so any goal would have won, I reckon. Um, <laughs> but um, that's pretty much the first half. I mean, nothing else really happened. I think we had one shot on target, which was Sturridge's first thing he did. Probably the only thing he did. Um, <laughs> second half. This will just be general questions because nothing happened till Lukaku nearly killed me um, at the end there. But um, Ollie, I'll have to start with you. I mean. I think there was quite a lot of this in in the pre-match. I mean, Salah against Man United, it's not really worked out so far. Mane seems to have stepped up his form, but in this game, them two were just abysmal. Like, proper, awful performance. I mean, do, do you think it was just down to them, or do you think it was the fact we didn't get to the ball, ball to them that much, or do you think it was a mixture of both? Because I've seen, I've seen balls all on Twitter about it. Um, I, Like, yeah, it's nice maybe to them saying it's a mix and you could make the argument that, you know, Salah is a bit more isolated because he's not got Alexander Arnold, you know, racing up the wing after him. It was Milner a lot of the time. So United were quite happy to get tight on Salah with Shaw and maybe another of the midfielders or the centre backs and just let the ball, uh, be struggled, that rolled out to Milner on the right. Um, but again, he was poor, didn't, Get himself into positions, but I suppose like you know you've got Henderson in the midfield to the cater, so that's sort of another less player to contribute to the attack in a sense, because he's quite more defensive minded. But you know you can't excuse Sal's performance; he was poor. Um, seems to have dropped a level in the last few weeks, as, as all the front three have really. We've lost that sort of. We seem to we seem to find our attacking rhythm again over winter, and then it's sort of dropped in the last three or four weeks, uh, apart from Mane's goals. But then Mane again was. Probably a bit better than Salah in terms of I think he got young a little bit more than Salah managed to get at Shaw, but equally that's probably because Shaw's a higher level of fullback than Ashley Young, at least in my opinion. Um, but yeah, Mane got United a bit, but he was poor. You know, you could say like the game plan went out the window a bit because Firmino went off, so they don't click as well with Sturridge. But yeah, as you said, both of them were really quiet. Obviously, Salah's the headline name, so he's the more disappointing one when you think, you know, who's going to turn up and where's the match. Uh, and he has struggled against United a few times in the past. But in fairness, you know, you're going to struggle to stand out against United. What Salah, Salah's played against them four times now, uh, hasn't scored. But equally, you know, how, how many goals does the average player score in four games against United, especially in those huge games where, you know, under Mourinho, United have, you know, well, not, not really okay, just did just sit back and part of the bus and try to avoid defeats in those games. Uh, and then obviously their force was, hand, uh, force was handed. Hand was forced a little bit on Sunday. Um, to drop back a bit more and be a bit more conservative with their play because as Harry sort of said, you know, the, their game plan went out the window to an extent when uh, they were forced to make three three changes in the first half and leave one player on hobbling around. So, yeah, it's disappointed in Salah, disappointed in Mane and all, all we can hope for as Liverpool fans really is that they get a few goals against Watford on Wednesday and then start picking it up again going into the closing weeks of the season because if, there's the idea that you know attack wins your games, defense wins your titles. But if we carry on with these, because our, our defense won't lose with this title now. It's too good, just as long as Van Dyke's fit. 
And even though we've seen the performances from Fabinho and Matip against um, Bayern, that indicates to me if Van Dijk had to miss two or three games, we could rely on those two. Our defence is going to lose as a start. We're not going to concede more than one goal in many games, but we can't go on with the nil-nils and the one-alls because points are so crucial when you come up against a Man City team so good that we need the attack to start quick again, otherwise we are going to end up losing the title by four, five, six points because we draw too many games sort of similar to 08, 09. Yeah, I mean, I unfortunately agree with that. They need to pull the finger out in that term, in that regard. Um, Harry, um, in the agenda, I'm, I, I only mentioned Shaw, but I'm going to throw um, Lindelof in this as well because I, 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 it just occurred to me that he was pretty brilliant as well. Um, obviously, we've seen Shaw um, kind of re-establish himself this season. I think Lindelof was kind of in the process of doing that last season. Um, but, I mean, them two became something you can build around in the back line. I know there's obviously <laughs> Phil Jones is still a walking meme and so forth. And <laughs> you mentioned Ashley Young is, is probably just a, a utility part, if anything. Um, but of them to improve that much that you think they could be a long, a long term part of the back four. I think Lindelof has certainly shown that he's going to be one of United's long term centre backs. And I mean, it's an issue that you've seen over the last, I don't know, decade. Um, even if we wanted to improve our defence, we can't bring in two centre backs of that, of the kind of quality of, of Virgil van Dijk or, uh, or even of, of Victor Lindelof. Um, it doesn't really work like that. So if, if we are going to improve our defence, we need to decide on, on another starting centre back and Lindelof has made that position his own. Um, I think he'll be there for a few years. Uh, and, and the kind of the rest of them, Smalling, by Jones are pretty much, they're very similar players. They have different attributes, different weaknesses, but they are a very similar level in terms of the, their weakness, in terms of making mistakes. Um, and Lindelof is just a, a bit of a level above. Luke Shaw um, has improved. I, I've still got some concerns about him. I don't think he's at the level that we expected him to be. I, I think the weird thing with Shaw is so often under Mourinho and other managers, to be fair, and even on in some games under Solskjaer, people have praised his attacking contribution and criticised his defensive solidity. And I think in the last month and a half, that's changed. And I think the reason people aren't talking about him quite so much and talking about his good form, because he's in good form, is because he's now pretty defensively solid and isn't really offering much in attack, which is a problem. It's quite, I don't think his crossing's good enough. I don't think he really does offer enough in attack. He's not that agile. I mean, the, the build of his body is, makes that no surprise. But yeah, he, he's doing well. I think United can build around Shaw and Lindelof. United are going to have to build around Shaw and Lindelof because there's only so many players you can sign every summer. And as we've shown, our recruitment is pretty shocking. So um, where do you put your priorities? It's not left back and Lindelof. There are other places to go. So United are going to have to, whether they like it or not. And I think they are good enough to do that, to be fair. They, Shaw was fantastic against Salah. Mm. Um who, who, who looked like he was having an off day, to be fair. He, he clearly wasn't at his best. I don't think it was just because Shaw was that good. Um, Salah just didn't have one of his best games, but at the same time, Shaw, when, when you're facing a player who's having a great game like Shaw, it starts to wear away at you. And, and you can see as the game went on, he got more and more frustrated and, and started contributing less and less. I think, funnily enough, I think if Shakiri had come on instead of Sturridge for Firmino in that first half, I think you could have offered a, a lot more um, in the second half. Um, I think she, well, he scored against us in, in the game back in well, October or no in December um, and he's always caused up problems which, whichever clubs he's been playing for so yeah but Sean Lindelof really, really really good and I actually think Smalling was, was pretty good which is quite rare he was good against Chelsea he was good against Liverpool so fair play to him 
Yeah, yeah, I, I fully agree. I mean, Lindelof, I think he was linked with us, um, obviously, before he went to you. So it's just one that, obviously, people criticised quite early on, but he seems to have uh, really uh, re-established himself in the Premier League, or established himself in the Premier League, I should say. But, I mean, I'll focus on Lindelof for a sec, but where do you think he is in terms of the um, centre-back hierarchy in the Premier League? I'll probably say Van Dijk and Laporte are probably the two most established and best ones in my opinion anyway but is Lindelof threatening to get up in that upper echelon uh, I I don't think he's quite there yet I don't think he's a player that can lead a defence like Van Dijk and well like Van Dijk can and, and Laporte is just fantastic not in terms of being a leader but he's just a very very good defender I don't think Lindelof's at that level yet he's doing very well he's improving very well he's very composed he's, the fact that he steps out into he basically he doesn't always step out of, of defence and, and play from midfield, but when Smalling's doing those ridiculous sideways passes where he has to take four touches and then turn his entire lanky frame to, to pass the ball and probably pass it behind the players passing it to, Lindelof gets frustrated after a while and, and just steps out into midfield, does more than McTominay and Pereira did with the ball. Um, and he's, he's fantastic on the ball. Um, looks more composed, looks more solid, and he, he's still very young. Um, I think give it a couple of years and, and that there is a chance he could be one of the Premier League's best centre-backs but it, it's really hard to tell with him because because of, of how mistake-prone he was when he first joined but it's so rare you get a player who set, uh, not a player so rare you get a defender who settles within a season in the Premier League so given the, the timeline of since he joined in, in 2017 he's done he's done okay Um and he's developing every game. So I think, yeah, there's a chance he could be there, but but not yet, I don't think so. No, I thought it'd be interesting because I think people did write him off quite quickly and uh, he might be one who takes a while to, to uh, turn around the neutrals and stuff. But he, he seemed to be the one I noticed in all the combined ex, uh, XIs and stuff like that. So it'd be interesting. But Ollie, um I'll go back to Liverpool's game plan and um, we've mentioned him a little bit, especially in the first half and, and the starting 11 stuff. Um this might be the official numbers, but James Milner had about 7 million crosses. Um, I mean, what was the game plan? Because I think he ended up having more than double the touches of Robertson, which, I mean, that just screams something screwed up there. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think 7 million is probably quite a reserved estimation based on the, the amount of times I was, I think I screamed at my telly that many times in the second half as we sort of yearned the ball out to him, only to just be disappointed by the slack end product. So, I, I, it's such, we've seen it so many times before when Milner's played at fullback. It doesn't really work because his crossing doesn't, his set pieces seem to be much better than his sort of in-play crossing. Um, not on Sunday, they weren't. <laughs> well, no, not yet. Exactly. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's just so, like, so many poor crosses, but even if they were good crosses, you know, Mo Salah, Sadio Mane, Roberto Firmino, Daniel Sturridge, these are not giants. Like, what's, what, what, are, what is the thinking there? That, see, this is why I like Trent, because Trent Alexander-Arnold is a fantastic crosser of the ball, but he might even be a better passer of the ball. Because some of the incisive passes he plays into sort of get Salah on the turn against defenders to find Firmino, or it would have been storage in pockets of space. Absolutely phenomenal. He knows exactly how to play his game in terms of on the ball in sort of alignment to the attackers that have got on the pitch. If we'd have put Origi on, then maybe, but whilst being a bit tall and Firmino, I think maybe an inch taller, storage isn't really a threat in the air that often. Mm. And it was just, it seems to be a process of shuffling about in midfield a bit. 
oh look, Milner's in some space. Wow, this seems like the good thing to do. Pop it out to Milner and then there should be absolutely nothing. And whilst it might not have started as a specific game plan from United to uh, let that happen, it certainly wasn't something that prompted them into a reaction which showed just how little it was working. Like it, Fair enough if you rest in Trent because, you know, we've got a lot of games coming half an hour at the end when it was obvious that the onus was on us to do the attacking and it was just every attack it was going out to Milner losing it going out to Milner losing it and United just weren't bothered they weren't sending someone else to market it allowed he was so poor that it allowed them to double up on Salah and that's the that's when it's a real problem not when just a player's not really contributing much on the ball it's when his lack of contribution is affecting others because even when Robertson has a bad game which we have seen a bit more of recently which is a shame, but even when Andrew Robson has a bad game, he's still making those runs, he's still occupying minds and distracts players, and he can still manoeuvre the ball in a way to be a threat, even if his final delivery is off, or he's making a couple mistakes at the back. But nothing was going right for Milner, and United weren't bothered about... I'm sure, I, 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 I'm sure Harry will agree that Milner just didn't feel threatening at any point on Sunday, despite having the ball shifted out to him so many times. Because Solskjaer didn't, make, didn't really make one change sort of tactically to counter the threat. It allowed them to double up on Salah. It allowed them to pull maybe another man across with Mane. It allowed them to push like, sort of more midfielders into the middle to stop Fabio Fabinho and uh, Wijnaldum getting on turn. And like, like I say, this is the thing. If you rest in Trent for half an hour for, for the game, fair enough. But could you not just bring him on for half an hour? Because then if you bring him on, it would have been very interesting to see if United would have just let him get the ball in the space that Milner was getting in. Or they'd have had to commit an extra man to him. And then even if Trent is a bit rusty because he's only just come on, that gives, like, that gives one less man to mark. Salah, one less man to pick up storage, and suddenly United are having to think a bit more. Liverpool open up pockets of space in different channels, etc. And you know, maybe we're talking about a different game, but it just seemed once sort of the injuries had subsided and the second half got going, it was just 45 minutes of United have the ball, Liverpool have the ball, Milner loses the ball, United have the ball, Liverpool have the ball, Milner loses the ball on repeat, and it was probably one of the most tedious displays of football I had to witness. Not in terms of not one of the worst performances I've witnessed from Milner. Because, you know, yeah, players can have days where their delivery's off and it wasn't like he scored four own goals. But just in terms of the mind-numbing extremes of pain that were shooting through my body, watching him serve in another aimless cross, just... Uh, did anyone see the... It was a video after, I think, Accrington Stanley played. I think it was Derby in the FA Cup. And their manager is doing his interview and there's been a controversial controversial decision or something he's like oh, I, I, I don't know why I bother with football anymore I'm falling out of love with it yeah. every Milner cross was that just being injected into me I, I, I feel like that's enough ranting from me about Milner's performance and the decision to start him keep him on on Sunday but it, oh, it was so horrendous and it could have been so different if we played Trent I think so I think that was such a key sort of part of the game and the fact that it was so obvious for Liverpool to go to him every time they had an, they had an attack because he was in so much space all the time. But the fact he couldn't do anything with it just meant it was just a game of sheer impotency that can only bring on hemorrhages to someone's brain. <laughs> I mean, he was pretty bad, <laughs> but yeah, I do I do agree. He was uh, frustrating beyond belief, really. Um, and yeah, uh, definitely should have brought Trent on. And if he wasn't fit enough to play anything, he shouldn't have been on the bench. Um, Harry, um, this is probably an obvious answer, but I'll ask it anyway. Um, was it was it a surprise? And obviously, you've played some other big teams, PSG and, and Spurs, etc. I mean. 
it was it always going to be sit back and, and defend, or did the injuries impact the um, tactics and, and the style of play that badly? But how, how have you set up against the other big teams? I think I think if you if you watch the Chelsea game, um, we do. It's not as if we we went all out attack as as we have done. I, I think there's a bit of a misunderstanding in terms of what Solskjaer has done. He hasn't just told them to to go out and play and go out and attack. Mm. It's not really how United have been playing. Um, even in, in the kind of big wins against Cardiff, Huddersfield, at, at the very start of his um, time as, as caretaker boss, that's not what we are doing. We were scoring goals, yeah, but it wasn't as if we, we were uh, playing in the final third for the whole of the game. I think United are at their best. And there's space in behind the defenders, so sitting back against the big teams is only natural. Um, I think it's it's what you do sometimes. Not... Don't sit back, but you want to be able to counterattack yeah, yeah. into yeah. that space in the in the last kind of uh, what is it, thirty five, forty yards of the pitch. You you want no one to be in that space so that Salah Mane and, and Firmino can run into it. I think United want to do that. You see a lot of the time. Um, a lot of what we did on on Sunday was De Gea picking up the ball quickly and, and one of those kind of searching, quite low passes over the top into the path of Rashford. Didn't go fantastically. There were a couple of moments where it created, a ch- at least it, it created the opportunity for a chance to be made. It, it, that didn't become a chance itself, but it would make a chance within the next half a minute or so when he was joined by Pogba, Lukaku, whoever, Sanchez. Um, so yeah, I think, I think, I think we were always going to sit back to a certain extent so that we could create that space in behind because if, if you watch United, we're best when we're, we're playing away from home because of the way Solskjaer plays because, our attackers want that space to run into. The worst is when, uh, for example, the Burnley game, when the other team sits back and we ha- we haven't got any space to play in. Same with every big team um, in the top six. When when the other team sits back, obviously it's difficult to defend against, um, as we did or tried to do at Anfield over the last two years under Marino. So I think we're always going to sit back and try to hit you on a counter. And I think you probably intended to do something similar. And that, that created a bit of a dull game. Yeah, yes it did. Yes it did. <laughs> um, Ollie, I mean, we're coming towards the end of the podcast, unfortunately. Fortunately, the end of the game. Um, I just remembered that Matip, again, tried to score an offside goal to, to murder me. Um, but other than that, I, I thought Matip and, v, and, and Van Dyke played well. I mean, is there a centre-back partnership that we can build, even though, even if it is just temporarily till Joe gets back or we address it in the summer, but is, is Matip really staking his claim to be definitely above Lovren? Yeah, in, for me, it was never really an argument. He streaks, 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 streaks ahead of Lovren uh, in most aspects, apart from maybe Lovren can be a bit more aggressive at times, which can be handy in certain games against sort of teams that are literally just going to spend 90 minutes chucking the ball up. And I'm not just talking about sort of bad teams, like the proper, like, Burnley's, Huddersfield, and probably Watford's the way they play to an extent. They're not a bad team, but literally just the teams that are direct for 90 minutes rather than sort of having the ability to mix it up. Lovren can occasionally be useful due to his aerial ability. But Matip's fine in the air, far better on the ball, more composed, makes less mistakes, positionally better, is a better foil for Van Dyke. Uh, it, it's just there's no argument for me. I, I, him and Van Dyke would never be in an ideal world are for our sort of first choice pairing because Matip, similar to Lovren, similar to Gomez, is injury prone and not of. I don't think I think the levels Gomez were shown in the first sort of four or five months of the season were above what what anything we've seen from Matip since he joins. But 
Matip has, I think, had a good season so far when he's played. Obviously, he's played much more recently with Gomez out and Lovren out. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable when I see his name on the team sheet, whereas when I see Lovren's, I'm not. So, I hopefully, you know, Gomez, this sort of fast, fastical situation surrounding his injury, uh, will subside soon and we'll have him back. But whilst, you know, whilst he's out, I'm much happier seeing Matip alongside Lovren and, uh, don't think that that hampers our title chances particularly much having him there instead of Gomez for the time being. But yeah, that uh, that own goal was just a, an example of his legs being too big for like, <laughs> it's, it's like, it's, it's like the, however long uh, like receptors take to send signals to your brain to do something. Sometimes his legs are just too long and count, like, counteracts that because they get to the ball so quickly. He's just like, sometimes you have to watch him and it just looks stupid. But thankfully, uh, it was an offside, so it's all good in the world. He's like a drawing from nursery when you ask him to draw his parents. <laughs> he's like one of them. <laughs> but he's like a big, long, skinny yeah. legs. Just yeah. No, no torso, yeah. just a head on legs. <laughs> uh, but uh, That is Joel Matip. Yeah, yeah. But uh, before we finish up, uh, one of the more interesting duels I thought in the game was Pogba versus Firmino, uh, Fabinho. Um Harry, I mean, obviously Pogba's been in, in sparkling form recently. Um, I know Fabinho was linked with Man United for what felt like every transfer window ever. But, um, I mean, did, did, did you see a, a winner in that duel? Because I, I thought it was, I thought it was very interesting throughout, really. I think, I think United midfield probably would have taken control of that game had it been the standard Pogba Herrera Matic. I think your front three is certainly better. Your defence. Is probably better. Um, and I mean, the keeper battle, I think I'd say De Gea and you lot would probably say Alisson, but that, that's a red. But I think, I think where United could have won the game would have been in midfield. I think without it was left for Pogba and Fabino to fight it out on an individual level rather than three against three or, or, or three against two or whatever, which possibly would have been more interesting, would have made for a more interesting game. I think the problem with Pogba is because of the absence of, of Matic and then Herrera after about half an hour. I think I said it earlier, just, he wasn't really allowed to to play the game that he would have liked, um, which we've seen him playing in the last few weeks. And I think he did really well, to be honest. It was one of his best defensive performances for United. Um, he's been fantastic in, in attacking sense over the last few weeks, but we haven't seen that commitment and, and leadership in the centre of the park yet. And we, we are finally, we're kind of forced to see it on Sunday. Uh, I thought Fabinho has been brilliant at, at points in this season, and yeah, if we, it's one of those Wesley Schneider type players who, who we seem to be linked to all the time, and then someone else managed to buy. Um, and yeah, it was it was an interesting battle. I don't think it was quite a reflection on either player because of the way the game panned out and the way it wasn't a proper United Liverpool game in a sense. It just it, it always felt a bit flat, and I think the weirdest thing for me was. I've never come away from United Liverpool game with such mild feelings. There's either been that sense of mm. of great elation, even if it's been a draw, because you've always gone into it. If if you get a draw, you're either gutted because you should have won, or very disappointed because, um, or sorry, you're either gutted if you should have won, or 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 elated because the other team were clearly better. Um, but it it didn't even feel like you'd come away from a, a proper big game. It didn't. I tell you what, it didn't feel like we'd come from a challenge. You kind of felt that the, the last 45 minutes was just us kind of 
trying to get a goal and, and not really being challenged at any point. And that was what was so weird about it. And I came away kind of oddly, mildly contented, but not really happy, but also slightly gutted that we missed an opportunity when you'd had such a bad day at the office. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I was definitely disappointed with our approach to the game. I, I mean, Ollie, I'll let you have your um, two cents on Fabinho v Pogba in a minute. But I mean, what, what what would you say to what Harry just said? Do you think Liverpool were happy with the point? I mean, some people have said it's our our um, Chelsea moment from thirteen fourteen. I mean, what, what what do you make of that? Yeah, the, you know, it's all about perspective, isn't it? Um, you know, when you put the, I, I was very disappointed at the time with the performance and was too busy sort of angrily punching in fives and sixes to describe how average it was in my player ratings to really think that much about whether I was actually happy with the result. I, I like, I like Harry said, I wasn't ecstatic, I wasn't overwhelmingly disappointed. Similar to Harry again, I was more disappointed in the sort of essence that I think the game was there for either side. And for one reason or another, no one quite managed to grab it by the scruff of the neck and say, listen, we're going to win today. Um, I think United were understandably content with the draw after they sort of had to, I probably would have been happy with the draw anyway, given, you know, Liverpool lost one league game all season, but especially after having to make those changes. Whereas, you know, going to Old Trafford, Liverpool, you can never really be too disappointed with the draw, given it's, a, I think it's a place we've won that four times in the Premier League era, which is probably even a better record than most teams as well. Um, but, I think maybe given the fact that, you know, City have been in such good form, we didn't beat Bayern, we probably should have done, we dropped the points to Leicester and West Ham, uh, sort of in the last month, people are sort of letting that pile up and sort of making mountains out of molehills in terms of, oh no, some more points dropped, you know, another opportunity to keep the gap up or extend the gap lost. But when reflecting on the season at the end, uh, you know, come come the end of May, I don't think we'll be saying we won the, the title or lost the title with a point at Old Trafford. I think it's one of those where City very well wait, very I can't remember, I'm struggling to talk tonight. City may very well turn up at Old Trafford later in the season and win. But equally, you know, United are a much better team now. They're very dangerous on the counter attack. They'll have a, should have their name men back, uh, and have definitely got the potential to steal some points off City. So I think it's one of those that, whilst you can really be disappointed with the performance and the way they've went about it, I'm not looking at the point I'm looking at probably more as just about a point gained than two points lost yeah yeah fair enough fair enough um, we'll finish up because I think we're pretty much just under an hour now but uh, obviously uh, I'll have to mention the Lukaku cross shot which nearly fell to Chris Smalling which would have finished me off uh, it would have put me in hospital straight away um, but we'll finish I'll finish with you actually Harry I mean Oli Gunnar Solskjaer do you think he deserves the job I've, uh, it's a, it's a difficult question. <laughs> um, I think, I think so far, yeah, he deserves it. I think the the problem I have with it is I, I love Solskjaer and I've been in, I mean, even my life is just not just in terms of football, but just my happiness overall in life since Solskjaer took over has just gone through the roof because I mean, that's the effect football has on you and the mood around the club is amazing. And the weird thing was it, it, looking back on it, it felt sitting there at Old Trafford. The atmosphere felt like we were celebrating winning a title. We were on our way to win the league. Obviously, that isn't the case at all. Um, and, and you're the club who's potentially doing that. Um, but to, to create that atmosphere for the first time 
not even just since Fergie left, but for the first time in, in a long time, it feels like there is somewhat a connection between players and fans, between management and fans. Um, and the only slight issue I have in the back of my mind against giving Solskjaer the full-time job is I know that it's the easy option. And our board has a terrible track record of appointing managers. Um, yeah, I mean, Kenny Dugleish did well with you when he came in. You gave him the full-time job after a few months and, and it ended badly. And Solskjaer, I think, would, would do well. Is he the man to win us the European Cup, the Champions League again? Is he, is he the man to win us the title again? I don't know. And I think I was reading a good piece in one of the United fan scenes at the weekend saying, well, if we give the Pochettino, if we give the job to Pochettino and he fails, that job's still going to be there for Solskjaer because he's younger, um, he's less experienced and it, it's possible that he could have the job in, in four or five years. It, it's a really difficult decision to make. And that is the only problem. I think it's the easy way out for the board. They don't have to do anything. They have to pay less money. It does make sense. But if it goes wrong, they're not going to be blamed. And I think there's no one with the balls at, at the top of Manchester United to take the decision to say, well, actually, is he going to be better for this club than Mauricio Pochettino or somewhere else? So it, it's really difficult. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I mean, I quite like the Kenny Daglish, um comparison. Uh, that was obviously a tough time for us coming off. Uh, I don't think Mourinho was as bad as Hodgson, but <laughs> I can see similarities there. Um, but we'll finish up on plugs. Uh, Ollie, anything you want to let know, uh, let the people know about? Um, I've been quite bad recently with the whole writing thing because uh, I'm, I'm going to say that everyone's mean to me after I told them that there was no point in Morana's existence of Liverpool anymore and that's been my hiatus. <laughs> But really, it's just like second year of uni kicking uh, my ass. But I'm going to try and get something out soon, which will be on the AI website. Uh, but until then, you can every week I'm there. Liverpool player match, Liverpool for straight people. I write player ratings that frustrate people even more. So you know, come and give me a load of abuse over them at uh, Oliver Emerson, <laughs> Oliver underscore Emerson on Twitter, and obviously the player ratings are, as always is up on the AI website, normally within an hour or two of the game. Yeah, good stuff. And Harry, anything you want to plug? I, I don't imagine many people are going to listen to my Manchester United <laughs> podcast or, or read any of my Manchester United pieces. I mean, I mean, if you if you fancy it, having your timeline clogged up with Manchester United stuff, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Harry Robinson sixty four. But I I find uh, it highly on, unlikely. So, uh, plug your United through time thing because I don't know the exact details for it, but I know that it's really good, and I will explain to people briefly why it is after you plug it. <laughs> uh, it's a it's a podcast about Manchester United's history looking at the most important individuals of the club since 1878, starting in like 1878, 1902, etc. It's like an hour, hour episode on on each individual. But go on, it's, honest. It's, 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 it's like these football times, but podcast form. And it doesn't, like, it's not, it's like, go and follow it because it's really interesting and somebody needs to do a Liverpool one. Because I listened to the first episode out of kindness to Harry. And then I, yeah, I listened to it twice because it was really interesting. Like, I, like messaged about it saying it's really good, kind of doing it. He doesn't clog your time on it with them because they take a lot of time to sort of research and uh, produce. So they're only sort of one every one or two months. So just go and give it a go. You won't regret it because for Manchester United content, it is actually very impressive. <laughs> I'm hold my hands up. Crossing, crossing borders there, are they? <laughs> uh, oh I know, it's like when I said Alberto. It's like Michael Owen. But uh, we will finish up there, so thanks for joining me, you two, and thanks for listening, everybody. Goodbye.
Podcast Network.